This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Praise the Lord. Well, the message title tonight is No Rock is going to Take My Place. This message, I think, would have been better suited maybe for Easter because I'm going to be referring to what took place on Palm Sunday, which was the Saturday before the Sunday where Jesus was resurrected from the dead, or the Sunday before the Sunday he was resurrected from the dead. But, um, but I still think it's a great reminder, and I think there's a reason why the Lord wanted me to minister this word to you this evening. As I was preparing this message, the Lord reminded me of something that happened to me when I was in the army. Um, I walked Fussbait in Postmasberg, which is in the Northern Cape. It is stinking hot. So to get, to get your rank back then, you had to go on a three-day Fussbait, and what they would do is, they would take you out and dump you in the middle of the night in a random location. And what you would have to do is kilometers away from your base, and you'd have to navigate your way back using the stars. The Southern Cross was always a key point that you would try and identify, and then you would use some instruments and a map in order to get back to base. What happened was, while they were taking us out there with these sawmills, all loaded in the back, the cloud cover came over. And so when we got out in this random location where nobody knew where they were, all of a sudden there was not a single star in the sky. We got so horribly lost. Nothing we had worked because we couldn't determine where north was. That's what the Southern Cross is. It tells you where north, south, east, and west is. And I still recall eventually out of frustration, we decided, we said to our corporal, let's just take a line of sight to the lights in the distance because we assumed that that must be the barracks. And so we tried a straight shot back. I never forget, we got to this barbed wire fence. So we clipped the barbed wire fence with our R4 rifles. It wasn't legal, but we wanted to get home. We didn't know what we were doing, didn't know where we were going. And no sooner had we clipped this barbed wire fence that we heard this in the background. We had broken into an ostrich farm. And one of the corporals, you know, it's pitch black. You don't know what direction it's coming from. And all of a sudden, an ostrich came upon us, and it kicked one of the troops. So we all scattered. We ran. We regrouped, and we walked for another three or four kilometers, and we got to another, another. It was a, it was a bigger fence this time, and we, and we took the off form. We clipped through this fence because we just wanted to get back. We didn't know where north was. We didn't know where south was, east or west was. We just followed the light. And um, no sooner had we made our way through this fence that we heard, it was a strange sound. It was like something collapsing. We looked back and half the platoon was gone, just like that. They fell into a sinkhole. <laughs> so it took us a good three hours for us to get these troops out of the sinkhole. Needless to say, we actually only got back to camp sunrise the next morning, broken, busted, and disgusted. And you know, I realized that sometimes life can be that way. We forget what our true north is. We forget what the primary commandment is that God has given us. And as a result, we go through a lot of hardship. You might be here tonight or watching online, and you might have an ostrich chasing you. <laughs> or worse, worse than that, maybe you find yourself in a sinkhole that needs a whole bunch of people to get out. And so in the context of that illustration, I want you to think about tonight what I'm going to be sharing on. And that is that no rock is going to take my place. And I think the essence of this message is simply this. It is dedicated to raising the level of our passion to the passion that Jesus demonstrated when he died for us on the cross. We need a constant reminding of the importance of giving thanks and praise to God in a world that is vying for our attention and full of distractions 
I feel it is important once again to find out what our true north is. We would have found it so much easier without incident if we just could see the Southern Cross and determine where north was. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love each and every one of you here tonight, but I can honestly tell you with full assurance that I don't know that I would place my child in harm's way to save you. It would take a lot of grace. And sometimes we have to think of that verse in that context. He sacrificed his own son. The level of passion that the Lord demonstrated in his love for us, it wasn't just lip service. It was action. It was sacrifice. He gave Jesus for each and every one of us so that we would not perish, but his son would. In Romans chapter 5 and 8, the Bible says, but God showed his great love, showed his great love. And at the conclusion of my message tonight, I'm going to be telling you and showing you exactly what it means to show love to God. What that physically looks like, the demonstration of what we say to the Lord versus how we act. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I ask this question, is this type of passion that the Lord shows us, is it not demanding of the same sort of passionate response from each and every one of us? Should we not serve God daily with the same level of passion that he demonstrated for us in Jesus being crucified? There was a guy that wrote a song in the 17th century. His name was Isaac Watts. I used to sing it when I used to go to the Anglican church way back in Zululand when I was young. And the song goes something like this. I'm not going to read the entire song, but the essence of the song really does speak and answer this question concerning passion. It reads as follows. When I survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. His dying crimson like a robe spreads over his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, there were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my life, my soul, my all. How many of you remember that song? by Isaac Watts in the 17th century. And I think he perfectly put into words exactly what the Lord demands from each and every one of us and how our souls should long and cry out to serve the Lord with our soul, our life, and our all. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 19. As I mentioned earlier on, this scripture is taken directly contextually speaking, Palm Sunday. It was that Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. The title of my message again is, No Rock is Going to Take My Place. Would you bump your neighbor and say it boldly and affirmly? No rock is going to take my place. The Bible says in the NIV translation, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. And that's important. You want to underline that in your Bible. I almost preached on that, on the unbroken cult. 
It's interesting that the Lord sent the disciples not to fetch a horse that had been tamed or a donkey that had already been broken, that would behave itself. But Jesus sent his disciples to go get the one that was rebellious, that had not yet been unbroken. Jesus decided to ride into Jerusalem as the Savior of the world, as the King of heaven on, on an unbroken, I mean, that'll preach. That'll preach right there. The Lord can use anybody, praise God. Even the rebellious, even the unbroken, the Lord can use them. So he says to the disciples, which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Bump your neighbor and say, the Lord needs even the unbroken colts. The Lord has need of it. You know the amazing part about the story is that Jesus is in the future. Listen, if he knows the finer details of where a donkey's going to be, the heart attitude of the donkey, and what he's going to use it for, surely the Lord can take care of us. Hey? Surely he can take care of us. And if a simple detail like this, the Lord knows exactly. He even said, they're going to ask you, just tell them the Lord hath need of it. I mean, if I was the owner of the cult, I would have said, who's the Lord? <laughs> You're not taking my Lexus. You can't just come in here and take my new car, my unbroken colt, and take it. You can't do that. But he knew exactly what to respond or the response to give them in order for them to release what Jesus needed. Those who were there, sorry, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them as they were untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. The amazing thing about this, and, the, and one of the reasons why I believe Jesus knew where the colt would be, was because 400 years prior to this incident, the Bible had already prophesied exactly how Jesus would enter Jerusalem. So he had his confidence in the provision of God simply because he knew the word. That will also preach. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, an unbroken one, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew Zechariah 5.5. 5. He knew that there would be provision for what he needed, and he just stepped into it. He was so confident, he sent his disciples out there to fetch it, but... Let me not digress. Let's read further from verse 36. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Now, I've chosen that statement and those few words to build tonight's message on. Look at that. They began to joyfully Praise God with loud voices. Why? For all the miracles they had seen. This is what they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, biblical scholars tell us that there were almost a million people or just over a million people there that day in Jerusalem when Jesus came in riding on that fall. Nearly a million people. Can you imagine what those voices must have been like as they welcomed in the King of glory? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Their praise was joyful. Their praise was loud. They weren't holding back. It went on to say, peace in the, peace in the heaven and glory on the, in the highest. Now, 
while this was going on, some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, now if you don't know much of the Bible and you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is a very religious person who will tell you how they think you should worship God. They will load you down with rules and regulations. They are kind of buzzkills. The more you obey the, Lord, the word of the Lord, the more they will come against it because they're extremely ritualistic. So all of this commotion was going on. All this praise was going on. All the hallelujahs and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, listen, rebuke these people. We don't worship this way. This is not the way we do it. This is not the way we used to doing it. And so would you, Jesus, please tell these people to stop raising their voices, to stop praising you, to stop calling you the king, to stop calling you someone who's come in the name of the Lord, to stop speaking of you as, as, as the peace of heaven and that you bring glory. Would you just get them to calm down? And this is where Jesus responds to these religious people, and he says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out and praise me. Folks, I want you to know tonight that there is a battle for our worship. And let me tell you, these people somehow, this is exactly what happened. Their praise was stolen. You know, King David became king, not because of his public praise. We know how he praised God publicly. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into Jerusalem, he was dancing with a loincloth, and Michael said, look at you, you're undignified. And David responded, I'll become even more undignified than this in order to praise my king. We know that David was a public praiser, but he was already king then. What made David king? David became king because of his private praise. And so as I speak to you tonight, as wonderful as what worship and praise was on this platform tonight and the corporate praise and worship that we enjoyed, tonight's message is not just about this corporate praise. It's about our public praise. It's a, it's, sorry, it's about our private praise. Perhaps many of you are here tonight or watching online and you used to make a fool out of yourself in your quiet time in your room with the Lord and used to praise God and all of a sudden that's begin to wane and begin to dwindle. You see, the same thing happened with this crowd. Because it was six days later, they went from saying, glory in the highest, hallelujah. They went six days later saying, crucify him, crucify him. Same crowd, completely different response. And this is what we need to guard against. So there is a battle on for our worship and our praise. And as we enter into this month, or already well into this month of thanksgiving, it's only those who have a thankful heart that find it easy to praise the Lord. If your heart isn't thankful, you'll find it so difficult to praise the Lord. It won't be an involuntary response. You won't find yourself driving down the road all of a sudden saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, you've been so good to us. You know, the four of us were in New York um, now recently, myself, Pastor Greg, Pastor Johnny, and you know what was amazing, what really blessed me? As we walked into New York, into Central Park in autumn, it was so beautiful. It was almost simultaneous. Every single one of us said, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being able to be here in this beautiful park. You know, we were just so thankful to be there. And that thankfulness bled over into praise. And we just took a moment to say, thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity of being here, to see New York, to see your beautiful creation, to see the, and it really was, it was stunning. The point I'm making this is this, that in the month of Thanksgiving, if we are really thankful, praise will almost be an automatic response. Can I get an Amen. So as we understand worship tonight, the first thing we need to know is that we all worship something. 
Every single person here tonight worships something. And as I go through these next few statements, I want you to just do an audit of your life, where you currently find yourself in. Because sometimes it's possible to think that you worship only Jesus. But let me tell you now, if predominant, if your mind, your time, your affections, your attention, your words, if that is not directed predominantly to the Lord and to something else, the truth is that He's not number one. He's a one, but not the one. And you know, Facebook and Instagram and social media in the world today really gives a lot away. You give up, you give up what you're passionate about and what you worship very quickly on social media. I don't believe that any Christian who serves the Lord and worships Jesus and is passionate about Jesus should be posting more about anything else than they should about their walk with Jesus. And using their Instagram and using their social media as a means of blessing and encouraging people. But it's amazing. I see Christians that, that, that love the Lord, all of a sudden they get into bodybuilding and that's all you ever see. All you ever see is body and steroids and this. And, and I've got no problem with somebody doing bodybuilding. But when it becomes the key focus of your life, and were you posting 300 times a day on how good your outer body looks while your inward body is busy struggling, dying, and being crippled, there is an issue. Facebook gives you away. Facebook gives you away. I've had some Christians, even in this church, unfriend me because they post stuff. And I say, hey, you want to post it on public? You're going to have to be rebuked in public. I'll inbox them. I won't embarrass them. I say, listen, I think you should. I don't think that's becoming of a person that loves Jesus. So we must understand that we all worship something, firstly. Secondly, worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is our response, much like from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell what's in someone's heart just by spending five minutes talking to them. You can tell them whether they're happy, whether they're sad, whether they're mad, whether they're glad, whether they're bound. You can tell, 10 minutes of speaking. Likewise, worship is our response to what we value most. Then thirdly, whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate. And then finally, whatever I imitate, I eventually become. Whatever I imitate, I eventually become. The late Jack Hayford said it this way. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. If we don't like what we're becoming, then perhaps we should evaluate what we have put on the throne of our hearts. If you don't like what you're becoming, you might be here tonight and love the Lord, but you're finding yourself becoming progressively bitter or progressively more hopeless, or progressively more angry. If you don't like what you're becoming, then maybe we need to reevaluate what or who we put on the throne of our hearts. And so, this Palm Sunday crowd, as I mentioned earlier on, I would suggest that their heart motive was completely wrong. They had situational faith. They loved to wave the Bibles and sing and praise the Lord as long as everything was going their way. If you help me today, Jesus, I'll worship you. But if you don't live up to what my expectation is of you and what my life should look like, then guess what? My praise is very quickly going to turn into something else. In Mark chapter 12, turn with me in your Bibles, this is what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, 
of all the commandments. So this guy's been watching and observing Jesus, and he comes to Jesus after hearing some of his teachings and his responses, and he says, listen, I just want to get to the nuts and bolts. Of what, what is it that you're trying to tell us? What are you bringing to the world or bringing here to Israel and to the Jewish people? What are you bringing to us that can be wrapped up in one sentence? Imagine, wrapping up the entire gospel message and the entire goal of Christ for his church in one sentence. But Jesus obliges and he gives them the answer and he says this. So the Pharisee says, he says, of all the commandments, which is the most important, the most, and Jesus responds, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. So here we have heart and soul, mind and strength. Jesus says, this is ultimately what we are called to do. But what does that look like? You've heard this verse spoken over and over and over again, and sometimes it can be very difficult to hang your hat on and say, what does that really look like? And so I'd like to break it down as I speak about praise tonight, as I speak about worship. Because after all, it's in John chapter 4 that Jesus tells us that God is actually searching He's hunting for, he's looking for true worshipers, Pastor Evert alluded to it tonight, that will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. <coughs> that word worship there in the Greek is proskuneo. So the Lord is looking for those who are proskuneo. What does it mean? What does proskuneo mean? Well, simply put, proskuneo means this, to kiss the hand. But more specifically, in the context of what a dog does when, it, when you come home. How many of you have got dogs over here? Amen. You, I mean, you never, your dog's never in a bad mood. Cats are always in a bad mood. Hey, Pastor Jen. Cats are always. You come home, the cat goes, oh. That's what some Christians are like. But a dog, you come home to a dog. I remember one of my favorite dogs, it wasn't mine, it was actually Pastor, Pastor Johnny and Pastor Simone's lady. They had this little fat vorsi. And when she started as a vorsi and then she became like a, a pie. But, but he'd come home, lady would run circles around, Pastor Johnny would throw a tennis ball down the driveway, and lady would, she'd run up to the same spot in the wall. We couldn't figure out what was there. We thought it was a dead rat, dead cat, dead dog. We didn't, but she'd run, she'd sniff the, the wall, and then she'd go get the, 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 the ball, and she'd come back. But she was so full of life. And when the Bible says that the Lord is seeking worshipers, he's looking for worshipers that are that charismatic in their praise and worship to God that they would come. I mean, my, my daughter's got two Vorsis now. She's got two dogs, Ocean and Kiwi. When I get home, they don't even live with me. But they came and visited yesterday. The first thing those blinking dogs do is they run up to me and they lick my shins. I don't know what's wrong with my shins, but they come up and they just lick, 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 lick. So this word proskuneo means to lick the hand. And this, think about it. This is the kind of heart attitude and Christian that the Lord is looking out for. He's looking for those who will proskuneo, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's move on to the first point. As we consider what the ultimate and most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first one is that God wants us to worship Him with our affections. What does that look like? 
heart and soul. So let's be sure to love God. When the Lord says he wants us to be affectionate towards him, think of that puppy who hasn't seen their owner for 15 minutes or three days and is going all crazy. But when we return our worship to the Lord and when we worship the Lord with our affections, let's be sure to worship God the way he wants to be loved as opposed to the way we think he needs to be loved. Worship the Lord the way he wants to be loved. Now, how does God want to be worshipped? He dedicated the longest chapters or the longest book in the Bible, 150 Psalms, in order to give us a clue of how he wants to be worshipped. And it was with symbols, it's with harps, it's with melody, it's with singing, it's with dancing. The Lord is saying, listen, this will be worshipped if you do it my way. This is what he says. And to give you an example, Psalm 150 verses 1 through 6 is wonderful because it says this. It says praise. It starts off with this word praise. Now the Hebrew word there is halal from where we get the word hallelujah from. But what you may not know is when the Bible says praise, this is what it actually says in Hebrew. Celebrate, boast, rave, to be clamorously foolish. That's what this word praise means, to be clamorously foolish. And I'm not talking about in church. It's easy to get stirred up by everyone else dancing. I'm asking you, do you dance at home? Are you clamorously foolish in your closet? Do you worship the Lord the way he deserves and wants to be worshipped? You see, now this kind of worship, this kind of behavior is fitting in the World Cup. I mean, we just come out of the World Cup. Did you watch that Instagram thing that went viral? I mean, that guy was on the couch, then he was leaning on top of the, on top of the nightstand, and then he was, and he was shouting it. He, he was going crazy. When you do that in a rugby stadium, you're considered a fan. When you do it in church, they consider you a fanatic. It's amazing how the most introvert people at the World Cup rugby, you should see Pastor Greg, I mean, he's super saved. I mean, he irons his jeans. This guy irons his jeans. Do you iron your socks as well, Pastor Greg? Okay, it doesn't. I'm just checking. But I mean, he's straight-laced. We watch the Rugby World Cup together. <laughs> I promise you. Iron jeans or not. When it was those last few minutes and that, and that, and that score was finalized, I promise you, we all went bananas. We did it this World Cup in San Antonio in our own home that we were renting. But four years ago, we did it while we were flying in the air. They, view, they, they showed the Rugby World Cup on the aircraft TV. People were trying to sleep, and we were going, yeah, you know. So I want you to imagine for a second that even the most reserved people, when it comes to Psalm 150, this is how the Lord wants to be praised. It says here, praise the Lord. Be clamorously foolish in God's sanctuary. Look at that. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Praise Him in, his, praise him in the heavens. Be clamorously foolish when you realize His great acts of power. Be clamorously, fool, clam, clamorously foolish because of His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with a harp, with a lyre. Praise Him with the timbrels. And I'm not going to continue reading that at the end. But the point I simply want to make is over here is that God wants to be praised this way. Not just in public, but also in private. You might say to me, well, Pastor Andre, I still don't get it, you know. I don't know why I get more excited at a, at a soccer game or at a Formula One. I don't know why I do that. So let me, let me perhaps suggest that you don't have a full revelation of really the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Because if you read the previous chapter to what we were reading earlier on, the Bible says that the night before Palm Sunday, that Saturday evening, 
Jesus was in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know the story because Mary anoints Jesus. Mary anoints Jesus, and people become critical of the anointing and the expense that she's, that she's spending on Christ. And Jesus' response is simply this. He says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Which means that when you forget what you've been forgiven of, it's more difficult to love. If you realize what you've been forgiven of, it's more easy to love. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And so sometimes we just need to take a seat back and realize, you know, and think back of all that Jesus has forgiven us from and forgiven us of. It'll help us love people that much easier. You see, praising the Lord as described in this psalm does not come easy for you, then it is possible, and I repeat this, that you have forgotten really what Jesus has done for you. There's a military base, there's a military base in North Carolina in the USA. It's called Camp Lejeune. It's situated right close to residential area and supersonic jets fly up and down all the time. You can imagine, I'm talking about window rattling kind of stuff that takes place at this area. People were complaining and so it was quite interesting because the camp, Camp Lejeune erected this huge sign and on the sign it read as follows, pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. Pardon our noise. It's the sound of freedom. I maybe want to put up a sign, babe, on my gate at home. So when I start getting clamorously foolish and start to worship and praise the Lord and start getting all crazy, crazy, that people ride past and they will realize, listen, pardon my noise, it is the sound of freedom. You see, Jesus has set me free. Jesus has set you free. And I will rejoice and I will stand and I will praise and I will glorify the Lord. I don't care where it's at. We should praise the Lord. Amen. Pump your neighbor and say this, pardon my noise. It's the sound of freedom. I've got two more points and then we're going to praise God together. We're going to wrap it up. So number two, God wants us to worship Him with our attention. First of all, He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to worship Him with our, with our affections. Secondly, He wants us to worship Him with our soul, our attention. God wants to be in our mind. He wants to be in your mind. He wants to be there all day as you think about Him. You see, because whatever you love most, you think about the most. Whatever you love most, you think about the most. And sometimes when you fall in love with someone for the first time, it's so easy to forget your love for God. I look at some of these young kids in the church that I've known as they've grown up, and I see them falling in love with, um, with, with some, somebody else, some of the member's daughter, with this son, and I, and I see how they become all goo-goo-ga-ga, and I think back to like 40 years ago when I fell in love with my wife and how easily you can become distracted and move away. It's amazing when you, when you get hooked onto something how quickly the files in your mind begin to stack in a different order. But the Lord wants to be in our mind permanently. God wants to be in your schedule. Tomorrow morning, start off with 15 minutes and something five minutes praise, five minutes worship, and five minutes prayer. I double dog dare you. See how different your day is going to be. Now I can see some Pharisees over here saying, 15 minutes, tell them an hour. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Start small and be consistent. I can see so many people thinking, I'm with the Lord for three hours in the morning. I get up at 3 a.m. Good for you. 
But for the person that's not spending any time with Jesus, that hasn't scheduled any time with Jesus, I'm saying do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Just start with 15 minutes tomorrow. If you can stick to 15 minutes, Jesus is a way maker because you'll start falling so in love with Him. You'll get halfway through a verse. Your five-minute people will go off and you'll say, no, no, I've got to finish the chapter. And then you'll begin to praise the Lord just a little bit and you'll realize, no, five minutes isn't long enough because guess what? Pardon the sound of my noise. Pardon the sound of my noise. It's the sound of freedom. And you'll barely get into pray. And three minutes will be done. And you'll say, Jesus, but you've just shown up. You've just rocked up. i got to spend more time with Jesus. And then your wife will knock on the door and she'll say, breakfast is being served. And you'll say, i got no time for breakfast. I need to feed on the bread of life. And you'll start worshiping Jesus. And the neighbors will come by and you'll say, pardon my noise. let anything steal our praise amen while you're standing while you're standing so we to worship the Lord with our heart with our soul with our mind and finally with our strength but what does it mean to worship and praise the Lord with our strength I'm going to close with this verse Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 and 16 now I've said everything I've said to this point to make this point valid and important so listen to this carefully the Bible says in Hebrews 13 oh there we go through Jesus Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, how do we do that? Now, listen, listen, listen. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. When God in the Bible speaks about a sacrifice of praise, it's not just lip service. It's getting involved in the body of Christ. When you worship the Lord with your strength, it's getting out there and going on growth track. It's saying, Lord, you know what? I'm going to grow in the things of God. Getting out on growth track, but not just finishing growth track. It's saying, Lord, you've qualified me for an area of service. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to serve, whether it's in Plastic City with Pastor Tracy in the welfare, whether it's helping people at the Welcome Center. You want to praise God with your strength? Then start serving the Lord. We've made it our goal here at Christian Family Church. It is why we exist, to put the right people in the right places for the right reasons so that you can know God, discover purpose, make a difference. That's what we want in this church. And that's what the Lord wants as we, as we speak about praise. Amen? So we're going to worship the Lord from now on. We're going to praise God in private. But our praise is not just going to be lip service. We're going to get all crazy in our homes. We're going to stick signs up that read, forgive the noise. This is a sound of freedom. We're going to worship the Lord now with our strength. We're going to find out what our gifts are. We're going to get involved in the church. We're going to get involved in the body of Christ. And I promise you, if you do that, nothing will quench your fire. Nothing will quench your fire. Nothing will steal the praise that you have within your heart. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Nobody looking around at this time. Now, you might be here tonight and you think, listen, these guys are a bit crazy. And you're right. We are clamorously foolish for our Jesus. He's done so much for us. We've been forgiven so much. That's why Christian Family Church people worship the way they do. We're constantly aware of what we've been forgiven of. And it's one of the reasons why we love every single person that walks through those doors. One of our mantras is we love you already, even before you arrived. You see, we want you to experience the forgiveness of Jesus. And if you are here tonight and you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I simply wanna pray a prayer with you.
This is you tonight saying, Lord Jesus, I pick you. You haven't been on the throne of my heart, but tonight I want to choose to worship you and surrender my life to you. If that's you at the count of three, I want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Right now, raise your hand high in the air. God bless you. Raise your hand high in the air. Don't, put it, don't take it down. Keep it up. Someone's going to come and lay their hand and pray with you. God bless you out of the back there. Couple getting saved. People raising their hands all over. Okay, I'm going to ask, please, if someone wouldn't mind just standing in agreement with you in prayer. Now, we're all going to pray this prayer together. Every single one of us is going to pray this prayer together, especially those of you that have raised your hands tonight. Let's pray this prayer. Everyone together. Say, Heavenly Father. Okay, let's start again from the beginning. Everyone together. Say, Heavenly Father. Tonight, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I know that I am a sinner. But tonight... I ask that you would forgive me and that you would cleanse me. Lord Jesus, you have not been number one, but tonight I publicly acknowledge that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. You died for me and you were raised to life again. I will worship you from this day forward until eternity. I will sing of your praises. I will rejoice in your goodness. In Jesus' wonderful name, thank you for saving me. Come on, let's give him a warm Christian Family Church International. God bless you and congratulations. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.